welcome to 1001 Books, a podcast where we read the 1001 books and decide if they are really worth your time. I'm Chelsea, and I am a lover of all books, sad, and also Harry Potter. <laughs> and I'm Nicole, also a lover of Harry Potter and historical fiction. So we'll have to see how that plays in today's I episode, know. Nicole. But uh, <laughs> what have you been reading lately other than our doorstopper of Crime and Punishment? <laughs> Um, so I feel like we've been reading Crime and Punishment for an age. Like normally, uh, listener, we we read these books in a week. And if they're a longer book, we give ourselves two weeks. And this book, we gave ourselves two weeks and then ended up being three weeks because we didn't have the recording equipment access. And then it ended up being four weeks because one of us was sick. And then it ended up being like almost five weeks because we – and so – and it took us that long. It took me that long to finish it. Um it was just, and so I've read a lot of other books because I needed like breaks. And the best ones, I would say, I this weekend I read "Sing Unburied Sing" by Jessamine Ward, which I read a memoir by her um, earlier, like last year, and it which was really great. And this is a, it's set in, like in the Mississippi, and it's about um, like a. a family and like a kind of generations and it's really about how like the legacy of like Jim Crow and slavery still affects people's lives and it was a real I love her writing really mm-hmm. good highly recommended and then we talked about last episode about um Tom Green's new- Tom Green is that not right John Green. John Green I was like Tom Green that's like a weird actor from the 90s yeah that is <laughs> dating um, ourselves a little bit um Turtles All the Way Down so I finally got that out of the library and I did like it because I felt it seemed it seemed like the best writing of like a character with anxiety I've ever seen and it was it blew my mind that that's the some people's internal monologue like it mm-hmm. was so intense but I didn't think the story was like mind-blowing but which is true of most of his books for me <laughs> I have that on my to read this actually my pile for this week um and I am a person who suffers from anxiety and so when you're telling me about that I'm interested to see if I'm like oh my god that's what happens in my head at all minutes of every day it'll be interesting yeah I'm cause, <laughs> because I feel like sometimes I get really horrible tension headaches from anxiety but the way my mind works is nothing like this character's it is not that's a thousand times worse than any anxiety that I have ever experienced in my entire life so I'm really curious yeah. what you think about it well, I'll have to let you know on <laughs> next week's episode yeah, and what have you been reading I have um again I've also read quite a few books since but one thing that I really enjoyed reading was the Harry Potter releases the Pottermore releases the digital mm-hmm. releases so they're basically just pullings from Pottermore made into books so they're only about 70 pages long each and there's three mm-hmm. of them and so it was like McGonagall's backstory and some stuff about the founders and so it was just super fun and super light and I read them all like one night after the other so like three nights in a row and just did a little like mini Harry Potter time and so it was really fun um, and got me excited to get to see the play again in July so I was really stoked for that I also I'm on my midwinter break right now so I'm planning on reading book a day for nine days straight because I have high expectations. (laughs) That sounds Um, wonderful. (laughs) And we're three days in, and so I've read those three books so far. Um, But because they were so short, I've put dents in some other ones that I'm going to read over this next couple days. So I'll be able to talk about that on the next episode of the podcast (laughs) a little bit and talk about what I'd read so far. We're recording it pretty close together, so I might not be done. But um, (laughs) yeah, so So, why don't you give us our details? Yeah, so as mentioned before, this week we read Crime and Punishment by... I don't know how to say his first name. Fyodor? Fyodor Dostoevsky, um, which was originally published in Russian in 1866 and then translated to English in 1914. 
And yeah, it was it was long, uh, 430 pages, and it felt like a thousand. Um, this book took us both so long to read that in the beginning, we both had low expectations because we haven't had good experiences with these like classic Russian authors. And then like two weeks into our reading experience, we were both like, oh, man, it's not as bad as I thought. And that by the end, we were both like, oh, we're still reading yeah. it. It's so slow. It was super dense. Um, if you had to describe this book in one word, what would your word be? I would say that this is a very bleak novel for my one word. And to kind of go off of what you're saying about density, just things that could have been said in like one word were said in five pages. And so it made, because it was already a bleak novel, it made it feel even bleaker because it was just longer than it needed to be for each bleak idea right so. and, and yeah and I don't feel like this is giving anything away about this book but on the back of the book it tells you that the main character commits a crime yeah. and then goes to prison and he literally commits the crime maybe on page 30 and he goes to prison on page 400 and there's just so it's just like <laughs> really like <laughs> I expected him to go to prison earlier and then part of the narrative to be in prison but it's yeah, like nope. just the epilogue is when he's in prison so did I my yeah. expectations and I kept reading and being like when is he gonna go to jail yeah. and there were so many moments where I thought he was gonna go and he didn't still didn't and I found it obnoxious like maybe they just shouldn't have told me that he was going to jail on the yeah back. I just this is such a well like a often read this is on every top 100 read list I've ever seen um and that it's just like assume that people kind of know the plot so I think that's why it's on the back yeah. um my one word is psychology I because I feel like this book see it seems like the first book that was like kind of like deep into the psychology of a crime lo- like long internal monologues um and and I don't think it had been done like this before for yeah. better or for worse <laughs> I agree with yes. that. Um, so our quick plot w- summary of this book, if we had to give it in one sentence, is that a guy kills someone because he thinks he has to write the right to kill them, but then the guilt of that drives him crazy. That's the whole book. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. And on yeah. page 407, he goes to jail. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so we're going to go into a little bit more of what happens in this novel. And so this is your official spoiler alert. As always, look in the tag of the episode for the time when the spoilers stop. So you can join us for mm-hmm. our closing segment. And just a preview that our closing segment is about the show, Alias Grace, to go with our book from a couple books ago. So, last book. Just oh, last, last book. book. It seems so long. Listeners. Because because <laughs> we draw in advance and we read this book over a long period. It feels like a long time. Yeah. yeah. So um, just so if you want to stick around. So here's your official spoiler alert. And I'm going to go into the full kind of overview of the novel. Basically, this main <clears throat> character was Skolnikov. Um, is a student who has kind of fallen down on his luck. His family is destitute as well. Um, it seems as though a lot of it is also from his laziness and in his kind of And his, uh, like, that he thinks that things should come easily for him, yes. so he's not willing to work for them. And entitlement. Is that the word? Entitlement. Oh, entitlement. I'm go with he is, um, in this, he's kind of spent a lot of time, like, building this ideation of what it would be like to kill, um, this woman who is a pawnbroker because she's really kind of the scum of the earth to him. And so he doesn't have to feel bad about killing her, but he can get the monetary gain. And so he goes through with it. Um, 
And then the rest of the novel is about this guilt that slowly starts to consume him um, and how his friends and how his family and how some of the other influences on their lives kind of are affected by it. Uh, He also, over the course of the novel, I don't want to call it love. I think it's more like a weird obsession. Um, Yeah, yeah, it doesn't feel like love. (laughs) Finds this obsession with this, um, a woman who has fallen down on her luck and she was taking care of her family through being a prostitute. Um, And so he falls in love with this prostitute, Mm -hmm. Sonia. um, And finally, through confessing to her and through realizing that he's going to get away with the crime almost, decides to turn himself in. Right. So there's there's like 300 pages of, should I confess or should I not confess? Like, in various situations. And he's like delirious and seriously like out of his mind for the whole, for whole sections of the novel. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, and then on page 407 or so, he confesses and there's an epilogue where he goes to jail um, and he's serving his time in Siberia and he and Sonia, when he gets out of jail in seven years, are going to live their lives and be happy. Right. And then the book's over. And then the book ends. (laughs) So... (laughs) So I really tried to go into this book with an open mind because I've never successfully finished a book by any of these like famous Russian authors. And this is on like every book list, like I said, and I was like, okay, at least I'm going to have read it. And so I do feel proud to have finished it. Yes, there is that. (laughs) Um, And it was, and I feel like I, 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 yeah, so I I had low expectations going in and it, and it wasn't like outstandingly I hated it. Um, it exceeded my expectations. But they were very low to begin because with. Because my expectations were so very low. Yes. Uh, yeah. So I feel like that, in one respect, was okay. Because it just exceeded where I thought I was going to be with the novel. Um, so I, so I, so when I finished this, after five weeks of reading, I, um, I looked it up on Goodreads because I was curious what people said in their reviews, and it had a really high rating, 4.19, yes. and then I looked up every book we've read for the podcast, and this is the highest rated, rated book we've read. Yes. It, it blows my mind. That blows my I mind. And I don't, I wonder if people rate it highly because they feel like they have to. Or just that, like, it's such an accomplishment to have read it because it's it's not it doesn't come easy. No, but so like all the reviews were I read were five star reviews, and there was an occasional bad review for reasons I'm sure we're going to cover. Uh-huh. But all the reviews were just about like this book is groundbreaking and it's so relevant still. And I and I it might have been groundbreaking, but I can't say I find it still relevant. I <laughs> I don't think it's I don't see the relevancy, but I. I do see how it it was groundbreaking from the time, maybe. I just, I don't, I didn't get a lot from it. So, I didn't hate it, though. So, there is that. And you know me. I always talk about how yeah, much I hate You're definitely Russian the harsher, your harsher critic. Yeah. And I'm the harsher critic. And I didn't hate it. Yeah. Um. So, that, there is that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One thing that I did find interesting um. And just to get out of the way, because I feel like it's going to be weird that we're not really using a lot of character names when we talk about the novel, mm-hmm. is that Russian names are just nightmares. They're so hard. Every person had like three names and a nickname that was in no way related to their names, um, which was really hard. And <laughs> and so it just got to the point where you were just kind of re- not reading the names. And it, it was confusing. It was super confusing. Well, and like, so they'd use the character's like Raskolnikov has like three names and they would use Raskolnikov 
most of the time. But then every once in a while, they call him Rodia. Yeah, was, that was his, his family's nickname. nickname for him. And so all of a sudden, it would be Rodia. But mm-hmm. Raskolnikov, Rodia. There was one other that I don't even remember. Yeah. Um. And so it was just, and all the characters are like that. So even like side characters would have nicknames that wouldn't be really relatable to their name. And because in Russian, the suffixes of last names take on a ovna or a knaf or a like, they take on an ending. Oh. Um, I Googled it because I was oh, so annoyed by it. Okay. So it's like, it's an actual like cultural thing that they add these endings to names. So like Petrovna and Ira, Irina, Irinovna, like they add those mm-hmm. endings. And so what it does is it messes up the syllabication of the word. So when you're, we're reading it, like with our English brains, like it doesn't sound, mm. it's really hard yeah. to read through the names because they have so many syllables that are very not like the way we would yes. yeah. end our words. Um, and so it was just really interesting. And the Ovna or the, I can't think of the other ones. Um, of just O-V, o, right? O-V, yeah. um, there's like two others always have like the emphasis of the word on them. So then when you're reading it with your English brain, you want to put the emphasis on the middle of the word. That's not where it goes. Yeah. Um, and so I ended up giving them nicknames. <laughs> what nicknames? Um, so Raskolnikov, because I got tired of reading it, was Rask. Mm-hmm. So Rask did a lot of things. His best friend, Razumihin, was Raz. Yeah, so, Razumihin's real name was Dimitri. I know. Doesn't sound like it at all. And a, and a different last name. Yeah, never right. went by it, though. Yeah. And then um, there's a character who's in the novel for, like, all of 30 pages, but his name was Marmalade. Oh, yeah, Marmalade or whatever. Marmaladov, Marmaladov, I don't know. But yeah. his name was Marmalade. <laughs> so there's so, that. Yeah, so we're going to avoid saying any names. Yeah, because discussion. it's just... And I listened to part of this on audiobook, and... Um, because oh, I heard, <laughs> well, I heard there was a really good audio version of this book. And so I found it on YouTube. <laughs> so real legally. Um, I, it's an old one, though. So I think it actually was in I think common. This, this has got to be in the public This is domain, in public domain. It's, yeah. Um, but the man who was narrating it was really good. And it actually helped me because I listened to like the middle hundred pages on audiobook. Um, it helped me with some of the names because oh. I could hear him saying them in my head. And so then it helped me recall them later. Oh, yeah. I really needed that. Yeah. <laughs> That's super so tough. So that was a thing. So still don't really appreciate Russian naming mechanics. Right. And I, <laughs> when I was looking at the reviews on Goodreads, they, that they all said that. Like, when, if you want to get past how hard Russian naming mechanics are, it's good. Or the Russian naming mechanics ruin it for me. Like, everybody mentioned that. So I think that's just a common complaint about this book. Yeah. <laughs> so we're not alone. No. Um, and, but that's, like, you know, but if we were Russian, I'm sure it would make complete sense and... That's where it was first published, so and the language yeah. it was published in. Um, so the the largest thing I drew out of this novel was it made me think a lot about crime and how we think about crime. Because obviously every society throughout history has had a kind of excuse me, a philosophy about crime, and that dictates how you punish crime, right? It dictates if you have the death penalty. It dictates yeah. how long the sentences are for things. Uh, if you cut off someone's hand for stealing bread, right? Like yeah. it and it was interesting because I talked, I read this, this was such a long period we were reading it. I talked about this book with a lot of different people and people our age, like millennials, mm-hmm. had a different understanding about how, what causes crime than my people in our parents' generation. Oh, because interesting. It, it made me think about how in the U.S., our punishment system is based on a view of crime very similar to in this book mm-hmm. that 
Um, it's individual. It's an individual evil. People choose to do crime. It doesn't have anything to do with their environment or how they're raised or where they came from. They're criminals, right? Yeah. We used to believe that you could measure someone's head and how it was shaped would show if they were, if they were going to be a criminal or not, right? And I think our punishment system still reflects that kind of belief. But I think more, I, me personally and many of the millennials I talk mm-hmm. to, we think a lot more about how about like someone's environment, growing up in poverty, not mm-hmm. having their parents around, drugs being in the neighborhood, like these things lead desperation for one reason or another mm-hmm. leads to people being Isolation. criminals. Yeah. And, and that like that belief about crime would lead to a different type of punishment system, perhaps a more restorative justice type system and addressing mm-hmm. crime would be more about like ending poverty, like and long term mm-hmm. plans like education and stuff like that. But if you think that crime is caused by one person is just bad, you don't care if they grow up in a poor neighborhood mm-hmm. and that, you know, and so then and so I thought it was really interesting that this we're recording this pretty recently after the shooting in Florida. Yeah. And and so. It, I was just like, oh, like this is the one thing I got out of this book is that we do think about that and how we call things different people when they do a shooting depending on their race and their religion, you yeah. know? And like, uh, and so for me, the way they think about crime in this book, that it's an integral thing, is outdated. And at first, when I was reading it, I was like, it's outdated. Like, this book, but, but I think actually our punishment system is exactly like it is in this book that's 150 years old, and that's messed up. <laughs> Yeah, I um we actually one of the reasons we delayed recording this podcast a little bit was because I just couldn't m- manage talking about this book so close after another school shooting. Um because it was it's interesting that this man and how what you're saying about how crime how it was thought of in 1896 Russia 1866 our whole like government system and our whole idea around um mental health and how we Mm -hmm. should run schools and how we should do um how the individualisticness of anything you do um is still is still there and it was just it's really really hard for me it's been very very hard for me this week um and I think that I think it reflects poorly on the United States. I that think it truly the does. Same as this, that yeah. our system still um, really individualizes crimes rather than looking at root causes. Because yeah. yes, people should be responsible for their actions. There should be responsibility oh, yeah. in our system. But also we should be doing things as a country and as a people and as a population to really see, oh, we see these patterns where People, and I'm pointing at the book, you can't see it. People who are in poverty and people who are desperate and people who feel isolated from others around them mm-hmm. and who have um, underlying... And feel hopeless. Hopelessness feel hopeless. that mm-hmm. feeds into and oftentimes creates mental health issues. Like yeah. if you're isolated and you're living in poverty and you're hopeless, that that creates mental issues that are going to mm. happen. Um, how they are much more likely to commit crimes that are really violent egregious actions because their life has just led them to this place um and how we as a society don't do enough to yeah. put a pin in that yeah um and so this book made me which is why i said bleak it made mm. me feel very disappointed yeah um yeah in our society yeah and i think <laughs> talking to people about this book different different types of people i realized that that's how I understand crime, what you were just saying, environmental, because I think my like philosophy about human life is that I think 
everybody in them has the capability to turn out to be like a murderer or a shooter or a thief right mm-hmm. but and but a set of circumstances leads you to those things and but i think we're all capable of it under the right circumstances and you know and but i and i realized talking to people about it that not i just kind of assumed everybody thought like that but not everybody does yeah. and and that's reflected in our system and i think there is like a huge generational gap um, for whatever reason, you know, many reasons probably. There's a huge generational gap about why we think about crime the way we think about it because the idea that it's environmental and stuff, um, I saw this thing that reminds me. I saw this thing, I think it was from Tumblr, but it was like a text post maybe from Reddit or something, <laughs> but it was saying that like Americans, I think it's so true, Americans are really good at like, okay, there's been a hurricane. We're going to go with our own boat and rescue people. We're going to save people. We're going to like, we're going to respond to a disaster or a mm-hmm. war, like a 9-11. But we're really bad at doing the kind of things that prevent the flooding from happening. Yeah. That make ki- get kids into Head Start so that they have good education. They start going to school ready. We're really bad at investing in those kind of long-term solutions because we don't want to be someone who cares. We want to be a hero. Yeah. And I think it's so true. Well, <laughs> I, something else I thought was really interesting in this novel um, was the way that the character Sonia, who was a prostitute, was treated. Um, because I thought it was very much something we also still do today, mm-hmm. which is otherizing things we don't understand. Mm-hmm. And so she, uh, A, first of all, apparently being a prostitute in Russia at the time was called having a yellow card, which took me I was like what is that and then 20 pages later I was like oh I was wondering if it's maybe like people had to have papers showing their occupation yeah and and if you had this occupation yeah Mm -hmm. I was wondering too yeah so she had a yellow card and the reason she was driven to it was because her father was a drunk her Mm -hmm. stepmother had consumption and And she had three little kids little kids at home and like I'm sorry if I had been living in an 1866 Russia and I needed to keep three little kids alive and that was the only option Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I probably would have been a prostitute and yeah. it would have been what it was. But it's really hard other. to see that in yourself. And so all the characters, most of them in this novel, demonized her for that or mm-hmm. treated her as less than for that or really looked at her as like a blot on their neighborhood or their society. And we totally do that today. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. We assume because we have these great lives or we're not in these situations that we would never do those things and that we're above them. And I think that it's something um, that as the as the people of the United States and as world citizens, like mm-hmm. everybody around the world, you really need to be careful about otherizing things that you don't agree with or don't understand. Right. Um, because it doesn't necessarily make that person a terrible person right like yeah that's like part like if you are someone who is you know financially definable as poor mm-hmm. you might be three steps away from making a really desperate decision decision like that and if you're middle class you might be 10 steps away yeah. and if you're in the one percent you might be a hundred steps away but there's uh, if it, it's still there's still a combination of things that happen that you would make the exact yeah. decisions because sometimes you don't have choices yeah and you have to do the best thing you have with what you have which might be a decision that other people would judge and it yeah. makes it really easy to there are real like evil people in this world. They exist. People Mm -hmm. who do really, truly evil things with evil intent. But it makes it really hard to demonize people, or really easy, to demonize people who are just trying to make it through their lives. Right. 
Right. I think that's so, a, like a Brene Brown thing where like it's it's hard to hate someone that you know. Mm-hmm. Right. Because, if, if, you know, like if you get if you get close to something, it's like harder to demonize it. Yeah. 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 And I, I feel like it just weighed really heavily on me this week because every time and I mean, this is probably an unpopular opinion, but every time there's a mass murder kind of event in our country or something happens, I I have a moment where I think about that person who committed that crime, crime family mm-hmm. and all those people who love them and who cared about them and if they were just watching the downward spiral and not knowing how to save them. Because I feel like with everyone, there's a point to where something could have gone differently and they wouldn't have made that choice. Yeah. And so, I don't know. I just, this book, yeah. I thought it was interesting. Sonia, who was a prostitute, and Raskolnikov, who killed people, were equally demonized. Yeah. And they had very different... Um, life philosophies. Life philosophies <laughs> yeah. and reasons for their actions. Yeah. Uh, and yet they were both equally hated. And I just thought that that's such, such an interesting, like... Yeah, and you do see that, like, his family in it over the course of the book slowly his mom and his sister slowly kind of realize that he did because you know people in the neighborhood are talking about this murder who did it who did it and they slowly realize that it's him without him telling them Mm -hmm. because he's being so weird and because the police are investigating etc and and they both react kind of differently but it's the mom kind of like disassociates Mm -hmm. right and the sister kind of like owns it and wants him to confess as a way to yeah. redeem himself because if he redeems himself if he confesses he goes to prison he gets out and he can do a lot of good things to offset this murder that's like mm-hmm. way she, the way she sees it but the mom just like can't deal and basically just like loses her mind sort of yeah. she like can't like focus on it and and that but that's just like they didn't know how to save him no just just, just like now like that so that's the thing is that when I was reading this book part of me was like well oh, this is like old and like mm-hmm. I, I feel like it's really different but then it was so much the same as now. And that fact that this book is leading us to have a conversation about mass shootings in 2018 makes me feel like, well, maybe this book still has something to say. Even if it's not, it might be a little bit different than what people are getting out of it when they read it in 1870, you know? I guess then maybe we need to rework. I wish this book wasn't relevant. Yeah. But it's It would be great if we thought about crime differently now and and we were doing things to make long-term solutions. And And personally... It's not relevant to the way I think, but it is relevant to the way our society Yeah, it thinks. explains something about how other people think that you might not normally, because you just, you know, it's easy to assume that other people think about things the same way as you, and this yeah. book makes you step back and say, are people thinking about the same? Because it, it has, how we define crime has real consequences in the world, right? It's, it's why we have the highest prison population of any industrialized country, right? It's yeah. why, like, all of these things. And I... Uh, a few months ago, I read the first part of a book called The New Jim Crow, which mm-hmm. I didn't finish because I had to go back to the library, so I have to get it out again <laughs> to read it, the rest of it. But it's about, that's about, like, why are there so many black people in prison compared to white people for percentage of they are the population? Mm-hmm. And about it being kind of like a um, industrial complex that's, like, basically, like, the new, there was slavery, and then there was Jim Crow, and then society created a new way mm-hmm. to, like, have discrimination happen in it, and it has to do with, like, drug crimes having such high sentences and pumping drugs into inner city neighborhoods where mostly people of color live and then they go to prison and, and then it like and tar- drugs that are cheaper drugs or have higher sentences right than, like, and then if you're and you get a longer sentence people. if you're black than if you're white yeah. and like all of this horrible injustice that is so real but then it's like even that relates to this book yeah. that like 
it's all connected, you know, like it's all connected and, uh, and I don't think, I don't, I just don't spend a lot of time thinking about it, but that's like a constant injustice that's going on in our country all the time. Uh, and it has Among to do many. with how we, how we define crime, like what our philosophy about crime is. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. Well, and I feel like too, so, I mean, I've mentioned it before, but I teach first graders. So I look at six-year-olds every day and no six-year-old comes into my classroom and is like, you know, is predisposed to do a crime or be, um, but some of them are less set up for success. Yeah. And some of them are less set up for success, but I think it's really interesting. I think that people who are so removed from poverty or from people who are different from them. So, Mm. I mean, mostly I'm talking about rich white people in our country. Um, But other sections, too, um, have a hard time humanizing um, populations that aren't them. And so I think that jobs like teaching or jobs where you're um, working with people every day from some situations that are not the same as yours really make you realize that they're just still people. Yeah. Yeah. So that like I feel like trying to hear the thoughts and the stories of people that are different than you is like what we all are obligated to do to be a part of a democracy and a part of like a civil society. And you would think you would hope. Right. And that's, that's why like in the last year I tried to read more books by people of color because, Mm -hmm. and I, and I tried not to read books by white people about like, I, like recently I started a book as like a historical fiction book, just like, you know, not like a serious nonfiction book, Mm -hmm. but it was about a set in about slavery and about runaway slaves, but it was written by a white guy and I started it and I was just like, I'm not even interested in this because it kind of glorifies, it still glorifies this era in a way. And there, because it it kind of romanticizes it, Mm -hmm. I guess is the word. And, and I was like, I'm not interested in reading a book about slavery that romanticizes it in any way. I like, I'm going to read about it. I want like, even though it would be, it's hard to read. I want to read about how horrible it was because there's no like, Oh, but here's, yeah, of course there were some beautiful stories of like human connection in that time that really happened. Of course there was, but that's not the story we need to be telling that's about it the for the better for the betterment. Be yes, exactly. Not the lesson of society. And then I just so I didn't finish it yeah. <laughs> because I just it was just like oh I don't I only like I I want to when someone tells me the story about what they seeing about something that's different than me I just want to believe them. I don't want to put my what I well I think you should say mm-hmm. this. I just want to believe them. Um, and I, ca- and I catch myself doing it, but I'm just trying to be more aware yeah. of when I'm like projecting my own thought process on people, yeah. you know? Again, we read this book and I'm like, I don't have that much to talk about when we're writing our notes. And then we start talking and I'm like, I have so many things to say. <laughs> uh, um, so I wanted to get into a little bit. So in this, so he talks about kind of like in the second, like third of the third, like the third, maybe the last third of the novel, mm-hmm. he talks about like why he did what he did more mm-hmm. in a more coherent way. And basically he believes that like, it's a very Nazi esque idea, <laughs> uh, you know, almost a hundred years mm-hmm. before hand where that like some people are like, are just better than the most people and they can do whatever it takes to, to accomplish something. And he focuses a lot on Napoleon that even though Napoleon killed a lot of people in wars and stuff, mm-hmm. he, he had the right to do that because he was a visionary leader Mm-hmm. And so it was okay. And 
And he thinks he's one of those people, which is why it was okay for him to kill the person that he killed. And she wasn't. She was just like, everyone is just peasants, basically. And some mm-hmm. people have the right to do anything. Yeah. But, and I thought that was so interesting because it was, it was so predating Nazism, like mm-hmm. that separating people into groups like that. Uh, and even at the end, he go, he confesses, he goes to prison, but he doesn't ever have any remorse. No. Not at all. Ever. And so I don't think that he's actually redeemed by serving his prison sentence at all. What do you think? No, I don't think he's redeemed in prison at all, especially because he he's going to, I mean, to put it in our, like, he's going to get the girl. He's going to get to live a life somewhere that's away from where he was before. His sister and his best friend are going to get married and come join them there. Like, there's no... He was entitled at the beginning of the story. He committed a terrible crime. He's going to be entitled at the end. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, it's again, like- I found is a really interesting allegory for our country currently. Um, <laughs> uh, and how we like to demonize populations that aren't our own and think we're better than them. Right. It's like someone committing a white color crime like stock speculation. Yeah. And then it not really affecting their life. Right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, or it's even like a um, Muslim immigrant. Mm-hmm. committing the same crime as a white man yeah, in our country, totally but because that Muslim immigrant is an immigrant, he's the other and his population isn't worth as much of ours. And they're all demonized, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I really, this book, see, this book just really depressed me because I felt like it was just, it made me feel like the our country currently and its divisiveness is a lot like 1866 Russia, which I just right. did not feel like was something I wanted right. to take away. One of the reviews <laughs> I read was um, was talking about how, so like in 1866 Russia, they were like still a monarchy, mm-hmm. right? There was the czar and they had just released all the serfs. So they like yeah, to be that free was people. Mentioned that was like a big times. deal. And I think Russia was the last feudal, European feudal country to do that. Like other countries that kind of happened naturally, they had to have mm-hmm. a law to make it happen. At least I know in England it just kind of happened like in the 1300s because of the plague, right? Yeah. It was forced to happen. But in Russia, so, and so, and then, but if you think about it, in 50 years after this book was published, Russia was, had the, was the Russian Revolution, they overturned the monarchy, and they became communists. And and in this book, like the people who are the police, they're kind of infallible, mm-hmm. right? They're quirky, but they're right, and they're yeah. for justice. But then 50 years later in the USSR, like the KGB would like take people away in the night and kill yeah. them, right? And so... Russia, it's a the beginning of a period of rapid, insane change in Russia yeah. for people, right? And so in America, because we're, we learn about Russia in this, like, weird way because of the Cold War, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the way we're taught about it, that I don't, you don't think about Russia before that, mm-hmm. you know? And that we probably had more in common than yeah. we didn't. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, and then it was just like, oh, yeah, like, 50 years later, he never could have written this book because the, you wouldn't have trusted the police no. in, that, in the USSR, like, because it was, a, like so totalitarian you know yeah and i'm not sure even like this book would have been published because it mentions right they would have had control of the press there was no freedom of the like for those kind of freedoms they wouldn't have had yeah it was that is i didn't even think about that that is really interesting yeah that this was like not the end of an era but towards the end of a like a yeah pretty stable period of russia's history they had just started this rapid change yeah at least as far as we know right um yeah because in like my ancestors left russia like in the 18, like in the early 1900s before the revolution because of like persecution against Jewish people. But they would have been in Russia at this time, mm-hmm. like one part of my family. So I don't know. I think it's really interesting. <laughs> it is really interesting. Yeah. All right. Final thoughts? Um, no, I, 
again, I just really enjoy talking about these books. I hope you guys enjoy listening to them. Yeah, we, we always get more out of it. So. Yeah, <laughs> we get a lot out of these books when we talk about them. Um, no, overall, I would say I can no longer say that I hate every piece of Russian literature. I agree with that. I cannot say that I hate it because I think that it's valuable because of the conversation it leads to, mm-hmm. even if even if it's like a pretty dense to get through. And it wasn't as hard as Hadrian. Oh yeah, yeah. I would say <laughs> I would say it was about the same as Hadrian the Seventh. Yeah. Um, just equally as dense. Yeah. yeah. The, just this this round, it was the names that tripped you up, not the word, not the vocabulary. Mm-hmm. So it was easier for me, especially when I came up with my, my, my nicknaming scheme. Yeah. I still can't <laughs> believe that it has the highest score on Goodreads of anything we've read. Even higher than Alias Yeah. It, though, that was like the closest, but you higher than all the others. I mean, um, but it's just, it's, I would it's give like it a, a I think solid... this is a true classic, like For Whom the Bell Tolls and this one are the most stereotypically true mm-hmm. classics on every list that we've read. I mean, I, w- I gave this, I rated it on Goodreads. I posted it after I read it. I give this three out of five stars. It was really more like a 2.75, but there's not that option on Goodreads. Yeah, the average was 4.19. No, I gave yeah. it a three. Yeah. Well, let's say, well, I feel like we're revealing ourselves. So let's mm-hmm. say if it's on the list. So do we think it's on the list? One, two, three. Yes. yes. So even though I, I can't say that I enjoyed reading it and I would only recommend it to people who I know this is kind of their thing, like the psychology of it would be interesting to them because it's definitely not for every reader. But I think that shocking, like it surprised me that it was still relevant. Mm-hmm. And I think that it was the first to be this kind of like deep psychological analysis in a novel. I think that was a new thing when it was mm-hmm. written. So then I think it deserves to be on the list. I think that, um, yeah, I think it should be on the list. I think that, Compared to other Russian novels I've attempted, this was a really good look at Russian literature to me. Like, this oh, yeah. was way sure more... sure we're going to read Anna Karenina for the list, which I know you've attempted before. <laughs> and read uh, the Cliff Notes, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I read the Cliff Notes after the first 60 pages. Um, <laughs> so, like, I... This one was more accessible for me. So, th- that's one. Like, I think mm-hmm. it's a good Russian literature example from that time period. I also think that, while I don't agree with its view of crime... Um, and hadn't even really thought about its relevancy until we started talking about it. I think that it is still an important novel because while I would wish that we weren't like this, we still are. And so I think that that gives it some meaning. However, I don't think that the average person reading this book would probably take that from it unless they were talking about it with someone. Like, you know what I mean? I think a reader who really loves the psychological analysis would love this book. Mm -hmm. And if that was too dense for you, you wouldn't finish it. No. Yeah. I mean, I I probably wouldn't have finished it if we weren't reading it for this because just because it was a hard read. I would have maybe finished it in an audiobook because the audiobook narrator was really nice. He had a British accent. Mm. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so I, I think it belongs on the list. I I feel better for having read it. I'm pretty proud of myself that I've read Crime Me and too. Punishment. Me too. Uh, like, <laughs> legitimately. It feels like a, like a, a reader accomplishment, right? It like really that true does. readers read this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so I felt really good about it. Um, <laughs> uh, so now when people say, like, what's the what's the most famous classic novel? I can be like, Crime and Punishment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm real cool. Crime and Punishment. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it does belong on the list. I think that... And it's so interesting because we, when we were reading this, we were like complaining to each other so much about it, but it still deserves to be on the list. Yeah. Well, it's similar to For Him the Bell Tolls. Yeah. Because it doesn't, even if it's not to your taste, it doesn't mean that it's not culturally relevant. Yeah. And it yeah. doesn't mean that it's not important. Yeah. 
I mean, still not. That's something pick up I feel like we're, I'm learning from the podcast because I don't think I would have thought that before. I, and I, I think it's them. interesting too because I think it's something that when I talk about the podcast with people, they're like, "Why are you reading these books if you don't like three quarters of them?" And I'm like, yeah. "But I still feel like it's worthwhile. It's not turning me off reading. No. I'm still reading in my free time um, other novels." And it's okay to not like everything that you're yeah, doing. Yeah, I still think it's making me a more of a well-rounded person. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think, and I don't like, I'm not hating it as I'm reading it. I'm just like, oh, this isn't, eh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, I wouldn't, maybe I wouldn't pick it up if it wasn't for the podcast, but yeah, other pe- people have said to me, well, if you don't like, you've liked less of the books than you have, you've, li- you've disliked uh, most of the books, and I'm just like, yeah, but even the ones I disliked, there, most of them, I feel like there was still, I still yeah. gained something valuable, which I think only uh, echoes that like, Talk to people that are different than you. Put yourself in situations yeah. that you're uncomfortable with because it, it benefits you. Uh, just like reading things that are out of your comfort zones benefits you. Yeah, I think that this this podcast has made me really start to think about how it's okay to not like everything you consume as long as you're consuming it with the intent of learning something. Yeah, yeah, and that's true. So, all righty, we're going to end our spoiler zone and talk about, well, not happy things because (laughs) we're going to move on to our kind of ideas about that first episode of the Alias Grace. So last episode, we read Alias Grace and we we loved it and we put it on the list for sure. It was outstanding. We had, Mm -hmm. we talked about it for so long. I feel like that episode is just like a, it was so amazing for like 45 minutes. Um, And then Netflix made it into a mini series. And so we both watched just the first episode. It's six episodes Mm -hmm. long. Yeah. Tell me what you thought. We didn't watch it. I'm not going to finish it. Why? It's really intense. Yeah. It's for the same reason that I haven't watched Handmaid's Tale. Um, I'm a really sensitive person when it comes to, like, visual media. Like, I can't mm-hmm. watch horror films. I can't watch, really, murder shows or scary things like that. Uh, scary things. Most people watch them and don't care. <laughs> but um, because, like, the visual aspect is really too much for me. And this first – I watched the first episode and a half. It was just – it was too much. Yeah, I agree – um, I think it looks like it's a pretty solid adaptation. Mm-hmm. Like some book adaptations we've discussed before are horrible. No, it looks this like this one. It's I felt really like it was like a very and it, that that it's a mini series. I feel like a mini series is the best way to capture any book. Mm-hmm. Like Roots, the mini series of Roots is outstanding because it gives you enough space to do to cover everything right, and you don't have to do make so many drastic cuts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I appreciate it for that, but I also. I also was like, oh, man, it's a lot easier to read about these murders and this like cr- the cr- like the psychology of this than it is to watch. It was, yeah. it was a lot harder for me to watch it. And I think I still might finish it, but I'll finish it on like, a, oh, I'm homesick and I have nothing to do. I guess I'll watch this. I'm not like seeking it out just because yeah, I'm the same as that. I can't really watch stuff like that. I can read it, but I can't watch it. Well, and see, I stopped watching because I watched the first episode and a half. And the first episode basically covers up until she starts working at the house. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so then I started the second episode and the second episode covers um, what happens to her friend Mary Whitney at the house. Oh. And there's a really like. Graphic? I don't want to get graphic. <laughs> there's a really graphic thing that happens while she works in that house because we're not doing spoilers right now. So I don't want to give spoilers. There's a really graphic thing that happens while she lives in that house. And the whole episode, you know, it's coming. And I was just like watching it. I was like, I cannot watch that scene. Like, I can't. I can't. Yeah. I just knew I wasn't going to be able to. Um, and so I had to stop because because the adaptation is so beautifully done. Like the music, the tone, everything yeah, was really, really well done. Yeah. And so 
I couldn't watch it. Yeah. The interesting thing about it, we discussed in the last episode of, is the Grace Marks a reliable narrator? And in the book, I feel like it's pretty vague and mm-hmm. they really leave it up to the reader of like, did you think she did the murder or not? Like, what do you think really happened? Yeah. And it's intentional, right? Like Margaret Abbott is being intentional about it. But in the in film, they're like flash, like she's, they show her face and then they show her flashing back to memories of vi- violence. And it's very obvious from like minute 10 mm-hmm. that she's unreliable and that probably she did the murder. Yeah. And so, I mean, I only watched the first episode, so who knows like what happens no, going it forward. Was. But, but I think, so they think they had to make it a little bit less vague in order to like get a story out of it that could work for television. Yeah. Because I think you can't, in the book, it kind of has her thinking about, well, if I had done it, maybe this did happen, but you can't really show that. In yeah. Without, without being too much narration, you know, and, yeah, they're, not, and they're not so. doing, any like her voice talking over the film like there's doing no there aren't doing no. Any narration so but I do I do think it's a good adaptation and I probably will watch the best eventually um but I'm not like that's what I want to watch when I want to decompress no it's no. too heavy and I have a tendency to not watch I'm like addicted to horrible really stupid sitcoms uh-huh. because when I watch TV I want it to be really light and escapism and and if I want it, if I want something heavy I would rather read it yeah uh, and so it's really hard even when people are like this movie is great it's so deep I it's like really hard to convince me to watch it because uh, I I just want that to be escapism I, I can't do it well and I think there's something about I feel like books have more power for me because I control the way I perceive the narrative. Yes, absolutely. Um, But in film, I'm watching someone else's perception of the narrative. And so I don't have as much power over what I'm taking from it. Um, Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so something that I've noticed in movies is that if it's a movie where something happens – I'm going to use The Fault in Our Stars, for example, but I don't think this is the best example. It's just an easy one to explain. So, like, in The Fault in Our Stars, the movie, we saw it, and we were both hysterical because it pushed me past the point where I could really process what was going on, where I was just too upset. But there's something about a novel where I can get a lot more from it because it doesn't... I control whether it pushes me past that Right, point. and you can put it down and you can come back to it. Mm-hmm. And I think that gives you the processing time to get something from it. Whereas if I were to just watch Alias Grace right now, I would just be so horrifically upset. I could already feel myself when I was watching the first. Like, it was just making me upset. Um, yeah. And it takes away that power, and it makes it so that I'm not getting anything from it because I'm just sitting there like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Right. Whereas if I'm reading it, I can put it down for a second pull it back together and then get what the right. author wanted from it. Right. And I definitely couldn't tell if I would like the miniseries if I hadn't read the book. Yeah. Um, neither could I. I because I, because I knowing what would happen, that was, it was interesting to think about oh, how is this different mm-hmm. or similar to the book. Right. But I, if I was just, I don't, it was never, it's not the type of show I would ever just choose to watch out yeah. of the blue. And right? it's the reason I haven't watched Handmaid's Tale because yeah. I just, I'm not sure I could handle it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would watch that one, but I don't have Hulu. <laughs> oh, I can give you my, Oh, Sorry. Never mind, internet. I'm not going to share my account with someone who doesn't live with me. We live together, of course. <laughs> um, All we do is talk about books. Yeah, we just record our regular conversations. Um, yeah, so that's yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say about Alias Grace. Should we draw our ne- our book for next week? Yes, I think we should. Okay. Dun, 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 dun. Drum roll, all right. Please. Our book for next week is called The Sea. I think it's going to happen at the ocean. Yeah, that's a very general uh, title. <laughs> it could be from any era, literally any era. Um, the word sea always makes me think 
of like a more of like a rocky like cliffs area like when someone says ocean i think of like a beach but when someone says sea i think of like cliffs right and i feel like cliffs makes me think of the of england like the white cliffs of dover um but yeah it's something saying the sea instead of the ocean there's something like that romantic sea is Mm -hmm. like a more romantic word i don't know like it's more poetic yeah more poetic we'll have to see see what what happens horrible puns (laughs) (laughs) um but as always we just want to thank you for listening to us and we hope you're enjoying the podcast with us if you have any feedback you could send it to us at 1001 books podcast at gmail.com that's 1001 books podcast at gmail.com or you can reach out to us on any of our social medias uh instagram twitter facebook at 1001 books pod and you can always rate and review us on iTunes which we'd love to hear from you yes we would certainly love it and on SoundCloud as well you can rate and review and there. Google Play the I other don't know place if anyone that- listens to us on Google Play they don't give me stats for that one I know I just look at the SoundCloud app and it's all like compiled. yeah so the way I don't know if you don't podcast the way that um <laughs> Maybe someone who podcasts. Maybe someone who podcasts. It's true. Um, the way when you upload it through SoundCloud is like the hosting site, and so you can see all your total listens there. And then if you go to iTunes, you can see it broken down by who listened oh, on I iTunes. Didn't, I didn't even look at that. I but it's like that. a there's a special thing you have to website you have to go through. But um, I don't know how to find that on Google Play. So if you're listening to us on Google Play, send us an email and let us know because I don't know. We are happy to be on Google Play. I feel like I some people are. I feel like somebody people are who have Android phones. Maybe, yeah. 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 So. All righty. Well, thank you so much and have a fun time reading until we talk to you next. Yeah. Happy reading. Bye.